we're continuing on with our sermon series in Mark, and we've been just kind of uh, expositionally just kind of going through Mark and looking at each line of Scripture, each, each text as we kind of go through there. And so we're going to pick up this morning in Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 45. So I want to invite you, you can turn there. You can turn there in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there are uh, Bibles in the pew back in front of you. You can grab one of those. And if you really, if you don't have a Bible at home, we want you to have the Word. You can take that kind of our gift to you if you don't have a Bible. Um, You can turn there. You can also look there on the app. And uh, before we just read God's Word, would you guys bow with me? I want to pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, maybe not even realizing how much we need your word. Lord, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear this morning as you speak, as you you work. Lord, push me aside. Lord, and I, I pray that your glory, your goodness, your word would be at the forefront of our minds, but that it wouldn't stay there, Lord, that it would settle into our hearts and it would impact our lives. Lord, and that ultimately it would impact the lives around us because of the good work it does in our heart because of you. So we ask these things in your son's wonderful name this morning. Amen. Um, I, I, I just want to encourage you this morning as, as we kind of get into Mark, and this is a longer series, we can kind of all have the propensity to kind of hit autopilot or cruise control, so to speak. You know, we're in the same text. We kind of keep going through the same things. I mean, even this morning, we're dealing with Jesus and he's walking on the water and there's a storm. And haven't we already heard Jesus was in another storm earlier in Mark? And so we can kind of hit the cruise control, so to speak. And I want to encourage you this morning to look deeper. To look deeper, take time and gaze and allow God's word to soak on your hearts and not just pass it by or just read it casually this morning as we get in and we study it. And I was just kind of thinking about that, that exhortation for you this morning. It reminded me when I was in probably like second or third grade, um, and I don't know if they came out then, they were probably came out before that, but there was these, um, these, these posters, and I remember uh, the book fair used to come, and you know, kids would go and ask for money, like, I need to buy a book, and kids never wanted to buy a book, they just wanted some like toy or trinket at the book fair, and they had these posters, and they looked uh, crazy, I think it's on there, if you can show it, Abby, they, they just, that's what they look like, and I remember seeing it, and be like, that's the dumbest poster I've ever seen, it says shark on it, that's not a shark, that's some dots. Okay, but these posters, when you would, when you would look at them, you had to kind of look and look and look. But then eventually, your eyes would adjust to the dots, and you would see this 3D image of what was really there. And I remember looking at these posters. See, y'all are straining real hard. Yeah, I've never seen anybody look at the screen so hard in my life. You're like, is there really a shark there? There's supposed to be. I don't know. Rusty's the only one that sees it. He's been blessed by God. So here's the truth in that. I remember sitting in the library and looking at these posters and looking and be like, why would you spend the money? And I looked one day and finally it was just like, oh, there is a shark on that. Have you all seen the shark? Oh my gosh. And it was like, man, the eyes were open for the first time and you saw the depth of what was in that picture. 
And Scripture is like that. The beauty of Scripture is the same way. You can look and look and look, and you can think, man, I've already seen this. I've already read this story in the Bible before. But every time you look, I promise you, you keep looking, you keep pressing into the Lord, and the eyes are going to be opened again and again and again. So my prayer for you this morning, and it has been kind of leading up to this, is that you wouldn't see the same old thing this morning. That you wouldn't see the same old miracle, but that the Lord would speak directly and he would open your eyes to what's really there this morning. So Mark chapter 6, picking up with verse 45, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 plus people and he comes to his disciples right after feeding them. They've cleaned up in verse 45. It says, immediately, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when he saw, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out for all they saw him and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be utterly, <clears throat> do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. Their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds and wherever they were and they heard where he was. And wherever he came in the villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him, implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. That is the word, word of the Lord. I just want to work through this kind of line by line as we look deeper. Just imagine looking at that 3D picture and, and, and we want to see what's really there. The first thing in verse 46. So one, he says immediately, Jesus immediately puts the disciples in the boat. He says, look, it's time to go. In some of the other gospels, it says that, man, they had had a long, strenuous day that he wanted to give them rest. And so he puts them in the boat and sends them on the way before Jesus. So he wasn't with them. And then after that, Jesus says it, he had taken leave of them and he went up to the mountain to pray. So the first thing is that Jesus was driven to pray. And I love this. We see this so many times through the gospel. And it can look like one of those 3D pictures where we just see it and we see it. But he's showing us something. Jesus is always showing us something. He's teaching us something. But there's a why. Why is he doing these things? And he goes up to the mountain to pray. And it seems quite normal, right? He's God. He goes up to this mountain to pray. But Jesus had much preaching and teaching and healing and so much to do. It seems like, man, he should have been in the boat with the disciples. They should have been going somewhere else. He had to get the gospel to go forth, right? Who has time for that? But no, what Jesus does is he takes time. He goes up the mountain. He's alone with God, spends significant time with him. 
And he presses in and he prays. See, what Jesus does is he doesn't respond to the demands and the pressures of the gospel and to his preaching and what he was doing with coming up with more processes and efficiency, but rather he stops and he prays. Man, that is convicting to me. Our takeaway has to be right here in this. He's already teaching us that when it gets hard, when things get difficult, they shouldn't drive us from prayer, but rather they should drive us to pray. We should be climbing the mountain, getting alone with God in that. Verse 47, pick up with me there. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Jesus is. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. You know, this seems kind of normal. You know, we've heard a lot about the, the Sea of Galilee. It's got tall mountains, some ranging up to 700 feet above it. And it was, it was deep, and the winds would swirl. Storms happen all the time. But you got to understand, Jesus put them in the boat. Jesus put them in the boat, and he sent them on their way without him. And he knew what was going to happen. He knew that they were going to, to run into this time of straining and rowing and fighting against the wind because it was a time that he had specifically designed, and he knew they needed purposeful straining. They needed purposeful straining. But there's a comfort right in there, and it says, look, we can't miss this. And he said he's standing on the shore, and it said that he saw them. He saw them. But we've got to get this picture that even though we are going to be driven into times in our life that we have to face the waves, we've got to face the hard rowing. We're in these moments where God is allowing some purposeful straining in our life that takes effort. But the thing is, is what Jesus is showing right here in these words is, look, I am Jesus, I am Savior, I am mediator, and my eye is still on you. He was on shore and he was watching them. They never left the gaze of Jesus having his eye on him. He knew what was going on. He still had them in his hands. He still had everything under control. This was a time of testing and straining that needed to be there to grow the disciples at this point in time. I didn't quite get that yet. Man, but how often the disciples are out there and they're straining. It says they were rowing and getting nowhere. They actually, if you look at where they ended up, where Jesus sent them, they went backwards. <laughs> they, went the wrong, they ended up the wrong direction in their straining. I and mean, how many times has life hit me hard where I am straining against the current, against the tide, against the wind, and I feel alone? I don't have anything. I don't feel like I have anyone. I certainly don't feel like I have Jesus' presence. I certainly don't feel like I have his watchful eye. But this is a firm reminder in those subtle words that we are not alone. That Jesus' watchful eye is still on us. And that, in fact, actually, he put us in the boat. He knew we needed this time of straining. And 
And I love what's going on. He sent them away in the afternoon. If you kind of play this out by the hours, right? Jesus sees them, and this is already late in the evening. They've been straining for a long time. Some texts say that they've been straining eight, nine hours rowing against the current, against the winds, against the waves. But in that, he still saw them. And where was Jesus? He was up on the mountain. He was praying. I have no doubt that he was praying and he was praying for his disciples and he was mediating even in that case. And he still does the same thing for us. Martin Luther says this of trials. They teach you to not only know and understand but also experience how right, how true, how lovely, how mighty, how comforting God's word is. It is wisdom supreme. See, they were getting this reminder as they rode hard is there is no human effort alone. There's no human effort alone that is going to accomplish the missions that Jesus, that God sets before us. I can't tell you how many times I have done this. Jesus has placed something in my life. He's called me to do something and I get in the boat and I start rowing and I'm going backwards. (laughs) And then I'm like, and it hits you, right? It hits me. I'm like, wait a second, God, you told me to do this. You told me to do this and I'm going backwards. Why would you tell me to do this and I, and, I, and I can't do it? I can't row hard enough. I don't have enough strength. And just like in those moments he's teaching the disciples, you can give every ounce of effort, but if you don't have me with you, you're not going to get where I'm calling you to go. Man, this was a firm reminder when I got, when I got married. Bless, bless my wife. She's here today. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for you. Man, when I got married, man, I thought I, I, thought I knew relationships at that point. I thought that I, I you know, this is, dude, this is going to be easy. I'm marrying. A God had called me to marry this girl. That was very clear in my life. I came out of college. I had jacked a ton of stuff up in my life, and God was like, you need to marry this girl. You know, it was a good thing. And so I thought, man, God called us to us. This is going to be easy. I don't know what other people talk about in marriage, about this whole struggling thing. Man, it was like I got into the boat, and I started rowing. It was like, oh, snap. (laughs) Oh, oh, dang. This is not. I struggled. I struggled the first year of our marriage. And there's still times that we struggle now. And I could tell you all the times where I am struggling, and especially in that first year, I was struggling so hard because I had this stubbornness to think that it was my own effort that could make that relationship run well. It was my own understanding. I had this stubbornness to think that I got this. I can go. Jesus called me. I can do this. All the time, the Lord's going, you ain't going to get to where you're going to until you realize you need me. What a firm reminder that we always, we always need him. Verse 48, I want to read there. Let's keep going. And he saw them 
that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not, do not be afraid. This is a beautiful thing. One of the things I don't like about this, it says right in there, and I'm reading through this, this, this passage and looking at it, and it says that he meant to pass by them. I don't like that. What is he, what, why would Jesus do that? Why is he going to walk on the water all that way and then walk past them? Is he just like, yeah, y'all definitely straining. I ain't getting in that boat with you. I'm going to where I told you to go. That's what I'm thinking at first. I'm like, that's kind of jacked up for the Savior to just, go, he was going to walk past them. Look, I'm a simple dude. And yes, if you're like, does he really say these things when he reads scripture? Yes, that conversation goes on in my mind. I'm like, what? I'm going to get to that. But what is their response when they see him? They cry out. They cry out. They think that Jesus is a ghost. They're crying out in fear, and their terror overwhelms them. Mm. There's some application right here in this moment that we've got to take away from what the disciples' response is. Man, how often have I, have we, like the disciples, we're struggling, we're straining and straining, and the difficulties pile up, and we cry out, but we don't cry out to Jesus. Man, we cry out to so many other things, or we try to lean on so many other standing, understandings, and we don't in those moments, we're incapable of seeing who Jesus really is. We see him as something else rather than a savior that is coming to our rescue. They're terrified, dismayed, undone. And yet, when I am leaning on my own ways and my own understanding, I box God in. I just box him in. And I think in my mind, I've limited him to what he can do. And in their mind, they saw something else other than Jesus because they had limited what Jesus could do. They thought there's no way that Jesus could walk on the water and come to the rescue. So there's no possible way what I'm seeing could be Jesus. We have to be on guard to be leaning and crying out for other things and not realizing who Jesus actually is. That Jesus can walk on water. He could come through any storm, through any wave, anything to get to our boat. So many times I've struggled with that. Our response in those moments we can't be crying out to other things, but rather crying out to him. See, Jesus, again, at the beginning of that pasture, pasture he, scripture, he showed what he did with the heart and with the strain of the day, and he went and prayed. The disciples had the opposite response, and they're in fear against the straining. May we be a people that prays and goes to the Lord there. It says, it says, immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, 
It is I. Do not be afraid. And look, this is the main point. This is why Jesus sent him into the boat. This is why he allowed for the straining. This is why he's walking on water. This is it so that he could come near in this moment, so that they could see him for who he actually is. And if we're going to completely understand this, we've got to go backwards before we go forwards. I want you to flip. Hold, hold your spot, Mark, but flip with me to Exodus, Exodus 33. We're going to look at another encounter with God that Moses has. In Exodus 33, picking up at verse 18 all the way through verse 23. Here's what it says. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. We see God declare who he really is to Moses, and as he walks by and he sees God's glory, he sees the Lord for who he is. He says, Yahweh, I am. Jesus, when he goes by, he comes to them and he says, take heart, it is I. When that's translated, it is, I am. Take heart, I am God. I am Savior. Jesus manifests God's glory in radiance in that moment. See, and this is where we get to why was he going to walk by? See, with Moses, God walked by and only allowed him to see the backside. I think even in Elijah in 2 Kings, Elijah sees the backside. God's glory goes past him and it says the earth quaked and trembled at God's presence And in this case, Jesus doesn't just walk by. He was walking by to show him his glory. But in this case, he comes near. He comes all the way up to the boat. He doesn't just stop there. He gets into the boat showing that, number one, he is God. He can overcome any storm in your life, any straining that's going on. And he's not just going to walk by, but he sent his son to be in the boat with you. that his presence is right there. Jesus spent all of that so that the disciples could see who he truly was. It's after this, later we'll see in Mark, that they start declaring, this is the Son of God who he was. Verse 51, you can flip back with me to Mark. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. Again, here we go again, right? You've got a raging storm, and Jesus, dead calm. And they were utterly astounded, because then they had seen. Then they had seen who Jesus was. But look at verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves, 
but their hearts were hardened. Sometimes we have straining. Jesus puts straining in our lives because straining deals with stubborn hearts. And that's exactly what it means. When you look up in the Greek and you get into all the translations, which, you know, it doesn't seem, you know, sometimes that can be overwhelming, but it's interesting. When you look at what hardened means in this case, it means stubborn. It means stubborn. And you look at the definition of stubbornness, it was a stubbornness born out of arrogance, meaning an attitude of superiority. They could not see who Jesus was because of their stubbornness, their attitude of superiority. One commentary suggests this. It says that spiritual blessings must always be balanced with burdens and battles. Otherwise, we may become pampered children instead of mature sons and daughters. Ouch. I had this attitude of superiority in my marriage that I could row the boat. And I couldn't see who Jesus really was in my marriage. That I needed him to get me where I'm going. And, that, and I continually need him. And so he allowed for a lot of strain in that first year of marriage. And I so often in so many other areas of my life constantly need a strain to push me to mature and realize that my heart is stubborn. Because the intentional times of straining allowed in our life, just like the disciples, are going to wreck our stubbornness and our arrogance. And they're going to allow for fertile ground for a humble heart to grow in that moment. We can be encouraged here that Jesus will come even when the conditions aren't perfect. The physical conditions weren't perfect, and Jesus was able to come through the storm and the waves through the boat. Even more, he brought peace and he neutralized terror and raging fear despite perfect heart conditions in the disciples. He can do the same in your life and in mine. Despite our heart conditions might not be perfect, he can still, he can still grow us and mature us, comfort us, deal with our fear, and bring peace. The last section, they land in verse 53. And when they had crossed over, they came to a land of Gennesaret and they moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. Immediately. These people saw Jesus for who he was. The disciples were around the miracles and around Jesus and they struggled to see who Jesus was. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages and cities in the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched were made well. They were made well. Mark kind of steps on the toes of the disciples because the people recognized who Jesus was immediately. They wanted, they wanted to be healed. They wanted to touch the fringe of his garment. 
And they trusted that if they could just touch it, if they could be near Jesus and touch him, that they would be healed. And that speaks to a point of faith. Even Pastor Eric was talking a couple weeks ago about, man, Jesus could do nothing in the towns because the people didn't believe. They didn't have a faith. But these people believed, and it said many were made well, and they were healed. We need to be a believing people. And that Jesus is going to show up. But there's a caution in all of this. I know, that seems crazy. There's a caution in all of this, and I would be remiss to not tell you this caution. The theologian, Matthew Henry, he points out that they weren't exactly desirous to be taught by Jesus, only healed. He makes the stark comment, but it is said to think how much more concerned the most of men are about their bodies and about their souls. What I fear, what I fear for myself, what I fear for us as a people, that we want so badly for Jesus to show up and he's going to show up, but we just want him to show up so that we can touch the garment and go away and we're healed and we're made well but we don't want to sit under the hard words of his teaching sometimes. That we don't want to hear the truth sometimes that Jesus was going to bring. The truth, the fact of that sometimes the straining, we also need to be at the fringe of Christ, but we need to not just stay there so that we can be healed and deal with our tough situations, but we need to be at the foot of the cross, always good or bad. We need to constantly be allowing God's word to refine us and grow us and strengthen us so that we don't stay an immature culture of Christians that only want to touch Jesus' fringe. Instead, we want to be a people that are changed by his presence continually in our lives, by his word. We don't just want to be a people that are made well. We want to be a new creation. And those are hard words But here's the encouragement. As we come to communion this morning, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to not just come and hope to touch the fringe of Jesus' cloak, but it's an opportunity to lay down at his feet for things to be made right. Maybe it's the time for you where there's been a lot of straining in your life and rowing and you're realizing that you're trying to row the boat on your own. Communion's a time to allow Jesus to come near. He's there. He has his eye on you. It's a time, obviously, to give back, but maybe for you, for the first time in your life, it's a time where you need to let Jesus come into your heart and do some some real work, some change work. Let's pray. Father, as, as we come... Lord, I pray that we would let go of the oars. Lord, that we would learn the lesson that that sometimes you have us in the storms. 
Lord, to strain us only that we would reach out for you. But not, Lord, I pray this so hard, Lord, even for myself, God, that we wouldn't just reach out to grab the fringe of who you are, Lord, but that we would grab all of you tightly. Father, that we would cling to you knowing that there is nothing else for us that this world can offer us. Lord, but, but you, you've been put in a place that you didn't just come, you didn't just die, Lord, but you rose from the grave that we could have life, Lord, that we could be changed and completely new. So, Father, Father, we come. Amen. As we come, we'll come up together. You guys can take the elements in the cup and have a seat, and then we will take them together. Please come.